everybody and a very warm welcome back to the latest episode of the Vinyl Community Podcast. What you're about to hear is an interview with Jared Boyd and myself Nadine from Soul Disco. We discussed the latest box set coming out on Vinyl Me Please, The Gospel Truth. He wrote the liner notes for that upcoming box set and speaks in detail about some interesting features of that box set. All right. Hello, everybody, and thanks for tuning in. I have a special guest up here tonight, Jared Boyd, who will introduce us to the gospel truth, who was, believe it or not, a sub-label of Stax Records. And Vinyl Me Please is finally doing a reissue, and I was over the moon when I saw this because finally there will be a box set and Gerard is the perfect person to talk about this because not on this project, but also on another project, he wrote the liner notes and knows all about the gospel label, which in many ways is sometimes forgotten. And I'm so, so happy, Gerard, that you took the time to do this. And well, yeah, may you introduce yourself. Yes. Hi, Nadine and everyone that's listening or watching. Uh, my name is Jared J.B. Boyd. I'm program manager at WYXR 91.7 FM uh, here in Memphis. If uh, you haven't been through Memphis to hear us on the FM radio, you can stream us. You can uh, find us online at WYXR.org. I'm also the uh, writer and co-host of Bill Street Caravan, a uh, globally syndicated roots music show. Uh, here in Memphis as well, and uh, a writer and a journalist, a DJ, and just someone who I, I hope that that I, I covet and uh, create content that you know pushes Memphis music forward, uh, whether that be soul, rock and roll, funk, blues, uh, electronic, you know, whatever I can get my hands on that, that truly uh, spreads uh, the gospel for lack of a better term, of, of this, this this region that I, I grew up in, I went to college in, studied in, and have reported in. Uh, so, you know, that, that that's me in a nutshell. Well, very impressive. Oh, Doing a lot good. of things. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I saw your website. You met also some great, great people. So you, you're really into it, absolutely. I'm meeting Nadine today, so I'm, I must be doing <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you. So... Jared, tell us something about the gospel truth. Where did it came from? Why was it even created and where did it went? Uh, well, you know, the gospel truth sort of comes from uh, the ashes of a previous stack subsidiary called Chalice Records. And, uh, you know, Al Bell, as he ascends to uh you know, he was originally sort of a head of sales and promotions uh, in in the Stacks fabric. He was a former radio man. He knew the landscape of the the black radio market from you know DC down so very well. Uh, and he knew that gospel is is the cornerstone of a lot of the talents that come from uh, the soul tradition. And so you see Al Bell as a champion of a group like the staple singers uh he's sort of hitting on this idea of of the the sacred and the spiritual sort of merging as one and, and was really the catalyst for a group like the staple singers uh leaving that 
down home, very sacred uh, music and sort of incorporating the, the, the beat of the street that was going on uh, in the civil rights movement and the black power movement, the black resistance movement in uh, the southern U.S. So, you know, this same man, Al Bell, you know, ascends from just being, you know, a part of sales and promotions to kind of, you know, becoming a de facto leader of Stax Records uh, as Jim Stewart and Estella Axton uh, kind of take a back seat. And I think Estella Axton leaves the company completely. Uh, but, you know, as Al Bell's leadership sort of continues at, po- at post the dissolution of the Atlantic Records handshake deal that that uh, would effectively uh, make them uh, the the distributor of stacks in the 1960s. Once that goes away, uh, after the assassination of King, and definitely after uh, the death of Otis Redding in a tragic plane crash, along with most of the Barquet's band, uh, you know, as stacks is rebuilding, you know, uh, Bell sort of reinvests in this idea. Formerly, there was a Chalice Records that was a part of the stacks family, and they put out a few gospel singles. Uh, but he goes sort of head first in a lot of different directions, incorporates more rock and roll, incorporates. Uh, some spoken pieces on recording, but gospel sort of becomes this this sort of pet project that he uh, builds around. And, and to head up that project, he asked one of his heroes, Dave Clark, uh, to become a part of the the Stacks family. And uh, with with Dave Clark as the sort of the the, the leader of Gospel Truth, he also enlists uh, Mary Peak Patterson, who was uh, a, a sort of a fixture locally in uh, the the gospel music tradition as to someone who was very present and, and someone who, you know, worked within church churches here locally. And uh, so they, they set out to, uh, you know, make a label that that really makes good on the promise of a group like the staple singers uh by melding this this the funk and the rock and roll that that stacks would become associated with largely uh with the 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 good word in the bible awesome so one of the first groups i think which were assigned to um uh, to the gospel truth was the rance allen group Yes, I think it was one of the the first ones. And what also was the thing I, I love the concept is that they try to get in the mainstream market with gospel and covering songs like just my imaginations from the temptation and make a kind of a gospel thing to it. So yeah. how from your point of view, how successful was that concept? You know, Rance Allen's is one of the most recognizable voices and faces in black gospel music uh, still today. And, you know, even people who aren't record collectors, people who may not know that his connection, they may not know his connection to Stacks at all. Uh, people who may even just be casual fans of, of gospel music, even contemporary gospel music, would likely uh, know Rance Allen if they're a fan of Black American gospel music. So I think uh, on the larger arc, you know, there is probably no greater success than Rance Allen. And he's known for that incredible voice. He may not be as known uh for his guitar playing as as he, he might be for just that that register and, and the way that he could command uh any song that he was on you know he, he's, he's it's almost funny to think of him as a revolutionary gospel act in, in the context of the 1970s uh because you know most people my age grew up with him as a standard bearer for mm-hmm. gospel music and you know 
uh, as you look at an artist like a Kirk Franklin, who, you know, again, in, in my day growing up was thought of as that sort of that same thing, that revolutionary uh, mix of contemporary popular music with gospel. He blended hip hop and gospel and many artists came after him doing that same thing. You know, Rance Allen was, was sort of a, a forefather to that concept. And uh, I, I could I, I just can't. I can't imagine a better career in gospel for an artist like a Rance Allen, uh, considering that the stakes for, for black gospel, a lot of times some of these artists don't necessarily have the, the, the recognition that they deserve, uh, you know, covering is rampant in that, uh, in that tradition. And, you know, a lot of times there is no compensation for someone, you know, taking your song and making it a hit within the church market or traveling and performing uh, another person's song. And sometimes you do a lot of concerts and gigs, because of a relationship with a pastor or because of a relationship with a gospel promoter that, you know, it goes largely unreported how uh, how harsh the reality can be sometimes for people trying to make a living singing gospel music. So I, I would say, uh, you know, Rance Allen had an incredible career and I hope that that he was incredibly proud of that career because he's, he's an incredible and uh, very vital, uh, you know, entry into the, the larger gospel story. Hmm. You mentioned the, the making a living on gospel. So from, from a business perspective, if you're a record label like Stax putting out gospel music because it's a huge financial step, you have to pay the musicians, studio time was very, very expensive. You have to distribution part of everything. So um, it's for me, it's more likely the love for the music and the culture to make it possible for all these singers to have a kind of platform to or studio to release their stuff instead of saying, okay, this is not a thing. I'm, I know I'm going to make a ton of money with it. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. And, you know, uh, you, you, you <laughs> Far be it for me to, to to designate anyone's intentions when it comes to music. But the reality is, you know, a lot of people do it because they are truly led by the spirit. And some people do it because they have an incredible gift and they just don't know anything other than to share that gift. And some people do enjoy fame and, and you know, fame within the structure of a church is 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 charged in a whole different set of rules. And so, uh, you know, it's 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 an interesting culture and interesting tradition and, you know, talented or, or not, you know, it, it, it can be a doozy to, to, to be uh, popular within the framework of, of, a, of a church tradition. <laughs> and the temptations like, are similar to rock and roll as well. So you, yeah, know, correct. you gotta be careful. Yeah, correct. I have a ton of, of gospel records from, from the seventies and, I do have also a little uh, gospel segment on, on my channel because um, there are some great gospel records out there. They have a tremendous beat and the vocal on it just mind-blowing. But most of these times, these recordings just sound absolutely terrible right. because they weren't recorded in a professional environment. Sometimes it was just a reel-to-reel -reel, uh, recording tape, but the music was just phenomenal. And what I love so much about the gospel truth is that these artists for the first time had the the opportunity to go into professional studios, having the professional musicians, the best equipment available at that time to release their music. So the music we are getting is very, very high quality from, from the material, 
but also audio-wise. You know, I think that there was a stack standard. My understanding is that Dave Clark purchased tapes, uh, you know, records that would have been shelved otherwise or had just been sitting without any, any takers. And, you know, like Al Bell, you know, Dave Clark was a was a record guy he promoted throughout the entire U.S. And at the time that uh, the Gospel Truth was operating, he was sort of based in, in the Detroit area. And so a lot of these records come from the Detroit area. Uh, you know, young people who would have won talent shows in that area or would have just been the talk of, of all the church communities who would have made that circuit in, in the Midwest, you know, caught his attention. And, you know, he had that ear and he was trained to promote and train to uh, go after tapes that probably, you know, would have been uh, a bit closer to the stack standard of of that time. And, you know, he was looking for a certain sound, a sound that would be effectively hip uh, and notably hip in in an opportunity to hopefully cross some of these artists over uh, to the young, uh, you know, forward-minded, forward-thinking Black consumer uh, and, and with consideration to the the very real fact that, you know, there's, there's only so many degrees of separation from the politician, the pimp on the street corner, the beautician, the barber, the lawyer, uh, you know, the, the Black professional, uh, and the preacher and the, the, the music director and, you know, the, the person in the church choir uh, or the student or the protester. Uh, there's only so many degrees of separation. A lot of these people may be out in the club on a Saturday night and, you know, in the pew on a Sunday morning. And so there is a complete crossover between the intentions of all those consumers and, you know, I think that if I could speak for Al Bell, and I can't, but if I could get into his mind and, and if I could uh, at least make a judgment as someone who is examining this music several decades down the line, you know, I would I would say that, you know, beyond just the gospel, you know, the straight ahead soul, the the leanings into funk and, and sort of the, 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 the staging uh sort of proto-disco that, that would have come from Stacks when you look at a record like Theme from Shaft is way ahead of the curve in, the, in that sense. Uh, as far as club music would be concerned at the end of the, that decade. Uh, but also, you know, at this time, Stacks was recording speeches and Stacks was uh, recording comedy records. And so I think that they were trying to create a diverse catalog and a, a, a diverse showcase of all instances of Black existence and Black life, Black entertainment, Black spirituality, Black theoretical thought. And, uh, you know, I think they even did a good job of, of, of making some notable pop and rock records for audiences that didn't exist within that, that, that Black community. Why do you think Motown didn't take the opportunity to do that? You mentioned Detroit. Mm-hmm. It would have been very easy to get these groups in Studio A. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I certainly am, am in no way a, a, <laughs> a Motown scholar uh, <laughs> because there's so much to dig into with Stacks. But my understanding is that they, they did do some similar things. Again, you know, uh, recording speeches with Dr. King, they recorded, uh, they they did record some gospel acts. And, you know, I, I think that the the... 
the style was just different. And, you know, um, uh, my understanding of what was going on in Detroit at the time was there was so much music to go around and mm-hmm. that Motown was so uh, committed to their assembly line uh, that it would take a lot to 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 break to break that mold. Uh, and if and if you didn't fit that mold, you know, there were a lot there's a lot of talent that, that was left on the table at Motown that ended up at Stax. Uh, you know, everything from a producer like Don Davis to a group like the Dramatics. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of their talent. Kim Weston uh, became a part of the Stax family after previously being uh, affiliated with Motown. So, you know, I think Stax had a, a lot to overcome in the way of the perception that a, a small, largely black operated, op, you know, company making records in Memphis, Tennessee, you know, effectively to the rest of the world. They may not have been hit to the fact that we weren't riding on horses and, you know, that there was some upward mobility for black people in this area to to be able to be in the entertainment business. And so I think Stax had a lot to prove to people in, in the way of of making a statement that we aren't Bama's and Hicks and, you know, that we, we can make uh so-called sophisticated music because the, the the idea was that you know we we play the blues down here and, and you know the same black people who lived in detroit you know were cousins of folks who lived in mississippi and all that because of the great migration you know the, we, we mississippi i mean excuse me detroit is as we say down here is just mississippi with with coats you know uh so it, i think that there's there's an aversion to anything that aligned itself with Southernness because black people are rising out of the cotton fields and into um, the car manufacturer. And so there was an intellectual abandonment of anything that felt like the the rural reality uh, that is very much in and around Memphis, but was not of stacks for sure. Do you know or or have you any information if the label was financially stable to pay off itself so that it won't be money needed from from stacks? I'm sorry, could you uh, repeat the question? Yeah, sure. Um, Do you know if the the gospel truth was so successful that it could pay his own bills or their own bills or that did it need money from stacks to keep the label going? Uh, yeah, my understanding of the gospel truth was that it was not an overwhelming success uh, or that the gospel truth didn't necessarily uh, add a lot financially to the, the, the framework or excuse me, the, the tapestry that was, you know, occurring at Stacks and Stacks really didn't last much longer. Uh, you know, if the gospel truth was founded in 1972, Stacks would shutter his doors in 1975. So this is really a short window of time and truly an experiment. But I, I do think that they they were able to uh, sustain themselves on one fact, and is that you know Dave Clark was was sourcing these tapes that they weren't really incurring a lot of recording costs. Uh, by making new gospel product, I think that it was more of a, a, an opportunity for someone to scout talent in, in A&R and sort of develop uh, a touring groups, you know, so they, they were able to put some of these artists on the road, uh, but they largely were already pretty developed as gospel acts on their own. I mean, Rance Allen's 
you know, one single that's, you know, prior to his signing with Stax sounds pretty much like where he would, where he ended up anyway. You know, he kind of already was pretty fully formed, he and his brothers. Uh, definitely the same with the Christian Tabernacle Choir, uh, Reverend Maceo A. Woods uh, in Chicago, Illinois was already a thing that was happening already a, a kind of a household name for those who were into, into black gospel at the time, a, a large choral group, very highly mm-hmm. esteemed already. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these were community choirs, uh, you know, or just soloists and solo acts that, you know, already kind of had that thing, uh, except for, you know, w- with a few exceptions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, why do you think that after 1975, after the Fatal Atlantic deal, which actually brought stacks down, um, why do you think nobody picked it really up and continued it? Because oh, of the so, so, I'm sorry to cut you off. You had, you had some more. Okay. Well, so that, that, that handshake deal dissolves uh, somewhere in 1968, 1969. Mm-hmm. And Stax goes through a bevy of sort of different ownership structures. Uh, you know, the stacks, so, so effectively you're dealing with two separate catalogs. Everything that would have been uh, published and distributed prior to that handshake deal being dissolved between Jim Stewart and uh, Atlantic Records uh, and Jim Wexler uh, in, at Atlantic Records sort of becomes a part of the Atlantic family they they hold on to that so you know sam and dave was already an atlantic artist they they were kind of kind of alone to stacks but you know all of that music that early isaac hayes album uh you know most of the carla thomas stuff had already happened at that point william bell eddie floyd these so effectively from that point on stacks has no catalog i mean none of the otis redding stuff you know, happens in that latter period of, of stacks. Uh, but in that latter period of stacks, the soul explosion happens. And so, you know, the, the big hit breakout hit record from them completely starting over, putting out like 29 albums all at once just to get their name back out into the marketplace without Atlantic being attached is Isaac Hayes' Hot Butter Soul, uh, his second record, uh, which propels stacks into its next period. Uh, you know, when they shut, by the time they shut their doors in 1975, which Hobbit or Soul would have been 69, 1975, uh, it's not long before, uh, I believe it is, Fantasy bought the, the latter catalog of Stacks and, you know, briefly uh, begins to put out new music under the Stacks moniker. And then later, Volt would even have a sort of a short lived revival in the late 80s and early 90s. And, you know, I'm not. 100% sure when that catalog would have eventually become a part of the Kraft and Concord uh, family. Uh, but, you know, that Stax brand was out there in several iterations mm-hmm. in the late 70s in uh, during the disco period and the, 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 the sort of huge boom of funk, uh, which would have been after all of the, the the huge hits that we know stacks for, and you know it had a a, a, a moment in the eighties as well. So it, you know it enters the lexicon uh, every 
decade or so. And, you know, I think Motown has, has largely done the same. Now the difference is, you know, Motown is a part of the universal music family and they, they have carried it on as a heritage brand in a way that, that no one has truly done with stacks. From the gospel truth catalog, what's your favorite album? Oh, that's a great question. I think it, it's probably Whatever Happened to Love because it's the only one that uh, was recorded here locally. It's sort of uh, similar to some of the music that was coming out from We Produce Records, at, which was a, another subsidiary of Stax uh, with Tom Nixon and Jos Josephine Bridges uh, at the helm of that project. And it definitely has a groove that's similar to Lou Bond's Lou Bond record, which came out on We Produce Uh And it, it, it just has that lush sort of string arrangement that is emblematic of the other records that are, you know, a part of that period of, of Stax's in-house production. But also really, you know, outside of the, the, the box set that we've done with Vinyl Me Please, you know, I love uh, I love Message to the Message. Message to the Ghetto uh, was another great one. Uh, I love the Blue Aquarius record. It's strange and it's wild and it's completely out there. It has nothing to do with black gospel at all. Why it was on Gospel Truth, not 100% sure. Uh, it, it is more aligned with sort of Eastern philosophy and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but there are a lot of gems and I love Rance Allen and I really, truly adore the opportunity to interview him uh, right as the pandemic was sort of crippling the globe. We got to talk on the phone. And as far as I know, it was his last interview before his, his passing. And so I'm truly honored that he could be as the star of any gospel truth collection, that he could be uh, honored in this, the, the first definitive singles collection that we did. Uh, and, you know, that his work and his legacy will continue to be illuminated through these subsequent uh, gospel truth projects. Hmm. I'm happy that they did the uh, uh, Lewis McCord uh, tribute to Mahalia Jackson. Well, that, uh, you know, Gotta Get a Move On is one of my favorite songs within the Gospel yeah. Truth catalog. And it's written by Betty Crutcher, who recently just passed away and yeah. an incredible, uh, beautiful songwriter. And as far as I can tell from those who knew her, from photos that I've seen, from things I've read about her, was just an incredible, be be incredibly beautiful human being and a, a true pioneer for women in the soul tradition. And so for that reason, I also love that Louise McCord record. Hmm. Well, it's the thing is the records are somehow out there, but um, and I saw them in a couple of record stores, but they're beaten up as hell. So they've been l l played. Uh, you know, it was uh, I wanted to buy some. They were very cheap, but you couldn't play them. It, it was impossible. And so I'm I'm so happy that this this reissue has been done. May you tell us a little bit how the uh, the cooperation you you you're working with Vinyl Me Please happened? Yeah, uh, you know I did. The liners uh, for Frederick Knight's I've Been Lonely for So Long with Vinyl Me Please back in 2020, I believe it was. And so I just have been in the, the, the Vinyl Me Please system and, you know, I've been waiting to hear, hear from them about a new project. I've been I've been hanging back. You know, there were a couple conversations uh, that, that happened about some projects that that haven't necessarily gotten licensed. Hopefully I, I, that they'll call me again when it's time for those to happen, uh, particularly those that honor Memphis and, and the music that I, I deal with here every day. Uh, but uh, they reached out about this box set. Andrew at Vinyl Me Please 
uh, reached out and I thought, gosh, I'm going to jump back into the gospel thing again. You know, I might end up with a, I might end up a minister by the time I'm done writing all these things about gospel truth. But uh, I was glad to do it. And, you know, everyone that I worked with on the previous collection, the singles collection for craft uh, also, you know, gave me their, their blessing. And, and they were excited that, that we could get this collection done well, because it, you know, it, it, it truly is important uh, to continue to highlight all the, all the many things that Stacks was a part of uh, from the Watt Stacks film to, you know, helping to launch the career of Richard Pryor, uh, you know, all of these these little things and connections and curiosities that you know even I find new things all the time that I had no idea that that people at Stacks were a part of, and you know if you just know hold on I'm coming or if you just know theme from Shaft or you just know Mr Big stuff uh, or you know I'll take you there the you, you'll lose sight of just the the day to day creativity of of and and the reach of this this what was a mom and pop label in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, and particularly the black men and women who were able to have such a huge global impact and see uh, global music reflect its, its pure um, and its, its unique qualities back at them, you know, and, and I think that conversation continues uh, to, to sort of unfold and unpack, uh, unexpected uh, unexpected nuggets all the time who choose the album for the box set you know i'm not sure they 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 just they just threw them at me and i said i'm ready i'm ready <laughs> okay um have you already seen the box set do you have already a, a copy You'd be surprised. I didn't. I didn't know when the street date was, or that it was ready to roll until you reached out to me. That was the first I'd heard about oh. it since I turned it in. So I'm excited to hear it's coming out. Then you made me look it up, and I saw. Okay, for sure, it's coming out. <laughs> yeah, I think mid May, or uh, I think around mid May. I don't have the exact date, but I think it's in in in, in around a month. Well, I can't wait to hold it in my hands. You know, every time I do a project like this, uh, I, I, you know. I have an outer body experience to to as a record collector to open up a record and to see my name, you know, associated with the, the press materials uh, to fill it and to you know see the hype sticker with my name on it. And, you know, to be able to, to share with my friends this tactile thing like, hey, I was a part of this. So, uh, you know, apparently there's only going to be a thousand copies of, of this box set. You know, uh, I can't wait to hold it in my hands. It, it really means a lot. And, you know, I, I, I get chills thinking about potentially someone who looks like me, who lives in my community, you know, 20 years down the line, finding a box set, you know, in a record store somewhere and saying, man, who is this guy, JB? And, and how did he get to be a part of this? Because that's how I got into records was just imagining having those conversations with everyone who's a part of the record, everyone who was in the line of notes. And so uh, that drives me. Wow, yeah. Vinyl please is doing great box sets. So some people complaining about the price and all of this, but I, I have to say this, in the last couple of years, the the reissues they've been done, they're just fantastic. And also the box sets are just fantastic from the design layout to the quality of the vinyl to the quality of the mastering. I mean, Ryan K. Smith is, is, is doing the mastering. It's an all analog change. So this is 
fantastic. What I think is a little sad, it's, as you mentioned, it's just 1,000. Yeah. I wish they would have done more because I think today there are way more people out there who are getting into gospel music, who love gospel music. And as you also mentioned, it was like not the, the, the old school gospel, as I want to call it. It was funky tunes in it. There was some fresh vibes added to it. So I think it's sad that just 1,000. Hey, well, 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 we'll have to hope for more on the next project that we do. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what the next project might be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, do you have next to the Gospel Truth uh, a favorite gospel record out of Memphis where you say, people, this is a record you absolutely need to hear? I find weird gospel records all the time from artists from Memphis. I'm at my I'm at my desk now here at the radio station WYXR, and uh, I'm looking over. I'm sure I could pull two or three very strange ones out, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's there's a few. Oh yeah, that yeah, uh, uh, Robbie is is here, Robbie Grant, and he yeah. There's there's quite a few. All right, well we'll all right we'll do that then. Yeah, please. Um, well, I first want to shout out. Pastor Juan D. Ship, who uh, is a DJ here at our radio station, uh, and he's you know he, he didn't record a lot of albums. Uh, he records sermons to LP, but his forty fives have done incredibly well for his. They've revived his label. Fat Possum is uh, excuse me, Big Legal Mess uh, is distributing uh, reissues of and compilations uh, from his original label, which was Divine Spirituals. Uh, but also they've revamped the label. They've excuse me, they've created a new label in sort of the uh, the spirit of his previous label called Bible Entire, and he's back to producing incredible gospel music. So I have to shout out to him because he's certainly a pioneer. Uh, one of my favorites that's here, and I think it's been reissued, is uh, Candle Tribes, Nothing But a Feeling. This is really more of an EP or a 12-inch single than it is a full album, but it's an incredibly funky, synthy, strange record uh, by a local guy named Andre LaFlora, who's recorded under a few different monikers. Uh, and I also... What year was that, Jared? What's that? What year? Uh, what, what, what year? Mm-hmm. Uh, 87. Mm-hmm. 87. Here's a strange one from a young fellow named Adrian Davis called He's Everywhere. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't not grab, it's probably the cutest kid I've ever seen. You uh, needed to buy this record just because of the cover itself. Absolutely. And I think one more strange one that is in this group of records. I'll, I'll, I'll give a shout out to um, Fanny Clark Singers. I think they're from West Memphis originally, but they recorded here. This one was recorded by Willie Mitchell at Royal Studios. But uh, another strange cover I found. Here. You, you caught me on a good day with a lot of gospel. We got the Townsend Sisters and the Meadowlarks, uh, some other cool synthy gospel. But there's one in here that I know. Oh, well, here's another great one. Divinity, a group that was uh, produced by Lee Moore. Lee Moore, an incredible uh, local synthesizer master. 
Uh, not quite sure what led him to, to put out a gospel group, but I'm glad that he did. It also has uh, some recording work from a friend of the station, Alexa Snell. Uh, there's one called, I can't find it, but there's one called, Can Anything Good Come From the Ghetto? And I just think that's an incredible record too. So that's just a few that I had laying right here. And uh, I think that, that about sums up uh, how my, some of my favorite. I actually have a few of my favorites right here in, 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 in arm's reach. Wow, I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm so jealous, really. You, you, it's so difficult up here in Europe getting, getting, those, uh, getting those gospel records. There's one gospel record I'm I'm showing it. I'm totally in love with that. That's the oh. the Paul Burroughs Gospel Choir. Amazing. Well, where are they based? Where were they from? Yeah, that's that's different. Most of these uh, most of these records, it's um, uh, Los Angeles. Okay. This is yeah. the back, and uh, I got this for for thirty bucks, and it was recorded with one mic on a reel-to-reel -reel tape. <laughs> it's the worst sounding record I have in my collection, but this is. It's the the music is just phenomenal from the beginning to the end. Wow, I'll be on the lookout for that one, and then maybe we maybe we can send some stuff back and forth. I would love that. Yeah. <laughs> really, it's it's. Uh, I'm really uh, I'm I'm really the cosmopolitan the cosmopolitan church of prayer choir did some uh, did some amazing stuff, and you know that's so that's why I was so over the moon that finally. Gospel music is getting uh, reissued on a major label like like Mind Me Please. Awesome, awesome. So that's that's very important. Music, gospel music, is very important for the soul. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, uh, I love reading. I love reading the names of the people in the choir, seeing if I know anyone related to any of these folks, which is fun. Yeah. And it's so difficult getting information about this because usually they recorded one album. There's only the tape left. You have absolutely zero information, so you could never really ask what's the story behind it, or right. uh, you know, praise the singers on it and give them credit to to their recordings. And that's that's the sad part. But that's why I think it's so important to bring the gospel music out there. Absolutely, absolutely. Gerard, thank you so much for your time. Nadine, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I, I look forward to continuing to, to chat, and thanks for your Absolutely. support, and I hope you enjoy the collection that comes out. Yeah, I, I can hardly wait. Honestly, I can, I can hardly wait for that. Likewise. Okay. Jerry, we would stop, I would stop the recording uh, at, the, at this point, um, and really thank you that, that you did take the time. I love Absolutely. your gospel records. I'm so jealous. I'm green. <laughs> Well, we'll send you some MP3s. We'll, we'll get we'll get some stuff on tape for you. Yeah, that that would be awesome. That would be just just awesome. And if you ever come across the uh, the uh, the Paul Barrows Gospel Choir, then uh, have a listen. You you won't be disappointed. Well, thank you so much, Nadine. I truly appreciate you. Thanks for hearing our latest episode. Stay tuned for other exciting episodes here on the Vinyl Community Podcast. Goodbye.